Blog Talk Radio. Charlotte over the past week in your mind? 
I always kind of wait for the biggest thing for me, you know, the coaches always kind of got their coach speak and, and, and the players are right. out. But I always kind of – two things I always look for at media days are, you know, comments from John Swafford about the ACC network. Mm-hmm. We're always waiting for comments about yes. that. And then the, then the yes. pick, then the picks, the preseason, you know, all ACC teams and, and who they're going to – who the media picks to win the ACC. Uh, right. Uh, the first thing that caught my eye were, were Swafford's comments. He did have some comments about the a- ACC uh, network and, uh, you know, him saying he's still optimistic, uh, things are still moving forward. Uh, I don't think anyone has any doubt that this is, you know, absolutely going to happen, but you still like to kind of hear what's what's going on in the background. And, you know, him kind of t- mentioning they're already – kind of talking about scheduling, uh, you know, having yes. some ACC conference games early in the um, – early on the telecast on the network. Uh, I heard some rumors that the first game could be Georgia Tech and Clemson on a Thursday night. I think that'd be a – you know, that's a – well, Clemson's kind of dominated the rivalry uh, recently, but that's a that's a really nice regional rivalry between two teams that know each other. I think that'd be a really nice way to start the network if that – uh, was the uh, was the matchup that started it out, and then there were the, uh, right. some other comments maybe about, and I think it's actually a really good idea having really early ACC uh, conference basketball games out of the gate. Yes, I thought I thought that was a oh, yeah. really good idea. Yeah, having twenty, having them, having some of the games really sprinkled in early in in the basketball season. I think that's a good way. Or for college basketball to gain, you know, some interest. I know everyone's watching college basketball or college football at that time. But if you put a couple conference games out early in the season and in early November, I mean, I would be, I would watch. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'll watch the preseason games too, but, um, you know, the preseason right. tournaments. Uh, but I think that's a great idea to gain interest in the, in, in the conference. So I, I was really encouraged by the, the network comments. Good to see they're talking about, you know, programming. So, you know, this thing's moving forward full steam ahead. Yeah, and you know what? This is a long time coming, brother. I mean, we think back to that, to what was it? What was it? 20, uh, what the hell was it? Was it 2011 when John Swafford yep. <laughs> had to take that bad deal? And, you know, because the football was down, we all remember how down the football was. It was to the point where the former, where the, the league formerly known as the Big East, <laughs> Of, of football league, yeah. they were even rumored to be better than we were. Let's put it that way. And for good reason. I mean, we just got, like, uh, Clemson, the conference champ of the time, got got the asses shellacked by West Virginia to the tune of 70 points, right, 70 to 33. I remember to this day, and West Virginians will not let you forget it either because they have billboards that says 70. <laughs> and, and that was the yeah. lowest point of the conference. And – you know, that deal was so bad that they signed with ESPN at the time that people were talking about leaving, namely the likes of Florida State. And it was rumored that Clemson was looking around, maybe Georgia Tech as well. I think the Big Ten was coming after UNC for the longest and UVA as well. And then you just fast forward to now, right? Or even go back maybe, what, two, was it two years ago or a year ago when John Swafford announced the partnership, the official partnership of ACC and ESPN and forming the, the uh, ACC network, 
the linear network, and that was great. That was awesome. And even though it spurred the Big 12 to panic <laughs> and whatnot, but, you know, still, I mean, to come so far from that, and not only that 70 points you're lacking the Orange Bowl, but when those other four conferences started forming big-time bowl partnerships with each other, like remember the Big 10 and the back Pac-12 got in bed officially for the Rose Bowl uh, in, terms, in terms of like, like, um, like big bowl Bowl payouts for the college football playoff, as well as the Big 12 and the SEC. No one saw that coming with the with the Sugar Bowl. We've got the ACC hanging out to dry with the Orange Bowl. I mean, that was mm-hmm. must some dark times. I mean, John. I mean, say what you want about John Swafford. You know, he was more reactionary than visionary. You know, it was said that uh, the ACC wanted to put out his own channel first before the Big Ten, but someone in the office pretty much pulled back on it, and of course, several millions and millions of dollars later, they're catching up. But <laughs> it, I mean, for him to come from that low point to those low points to this point, even if it doesn't make up ground on the too much, but so much ground that eight on the SEC and the Big Ten right away, you got to say that he's done a hell of a job. He being John Swafford and getting the conference back off the up off the mat, so to speak. To even talk about being the third or even second best conference in all of sports, really. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree a hundred percent everything you you just said there. Um, you know, you go back to to the 2010, 2011, and and that Orange Bowl loss was was a was a low point. I mean, the bottom had pretty much yeah. fallen out. I mean, you'd you'd had a whole previous decade of getting you know hammered in BCS games, no national. Uh, you know, no national championship contenders, uh, losing, you know, out of conference games all over the place. And, you know, that, that was when the bottom fell out. And I know Swaffer takes a lot of criticism, you know, for what happened back then. And and he definitely deserved some of it. Like you said, you know, there was an opportunity to start that ACC network, you know, 2008, 2009. And, you know, he, he wasn't the visionary that Delaney, Jim Delaney was at a big 10. You know, I know it was the ACC presidents and the schools were, you know, they had a vote and they voted against it. But, you know, Swafford's responsibility, you know, is to kind of be that visionary for the conference. And, you know, he he, he kind of – that wasn't his best moment, we'll say, you know, mm-hmm. kind of missing right. out on that. But like you said, with the Orange Bowl, you know, he was really fighting an uphill battle because ACC football was, was terrible. It was terrible through yeah. the BCS <laughs> era. And and you know you're trying to to, to get into a con- contract, you know, big six bowl like that, and, and trying to get as much money as you know other conferences, and, you, and you're coming in there with no argument. You know they're asking you like, well, what do you bring right. to the table? Uh, well, we bring mm-hmm. a, a two and thirteen BCS record uh, for for the yeah. last fifteen years, and you know there really wasn't much he could do there. But like you said, um, you know it's not it's not always how you start; it's, it's how you finish. And, you know, right. things are looking bright. You know, like you said, we're looking at probably second, third best. In 2016, you know, ACC was the number one football conference in the country just a couple years ago. And now they're one of the premier year in and year out national championship contenders. Uh, there was a five-year winning streak in the Orange Bowl. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the nine bowl wins just a couple years ago. And, 
and you go through it and it, it's not just Clemson. I mean, they're the, you know, they're the, they're the flag bearer right now and Florida state, you know, did, did a ton too, but you know, so many other programs have gotten marquee wins. Um, Miami with that, what they did against Notre Dame and Virginia tech has some big oh, wins yeah, and yes. Georgia tech, you know, winning an orange bowl, just a couple, you know, 2014. So yeah, it's that, you know, when you talk about the media days, it, it used to be, um, you know, what are you going to do about ACC football? How's it going to get better? And, you know, the tune has mm-hmm. completely changed. You know, now it's talking yes. about how many teams can we get into the playoff? Uh, you know, how many mm-hmm. top 25 teams, the network, or oh, we've got this great conference primetime matchup. And it's, it's just a completely different atmosphere than what it was, you know, just five, six years ago. Yeah, and you uh, know what? Um, I mean, the thing is, I mean, we, I mean, we, we were this close. This conference was this close. Like, I don't know if you, you, um, you remember when the around the time the ball coalition was formed, the way they did it, the one about it was, was that they took the conferences, who's had teams, to win national championships, for the past I don't know how many years back. I forgot what the metric was exactly. Yeah, that yeah, I remember which, that. Which conferences got the bigger pot? So basically, mm-hmm. the ACC outside of 1990 when Georgia Tech split the national championship, the ACC was one missing Florida State Seminoles football squad from being a Group of Five conference. If you think about it, because Florida State was born to the ACC when it was a it was thought to be a big time coup. Even though they dominated the hell of the ACC those first few years, they were the Flatbird. Obviously, the Flatbird. They won the national two national championships under Bobby Bowden uh, while an ACC while an ACC member. And you know, again, outside of Georgia Tech winning or splitting the national title, I don't know how, how they how that would have figured into that metric. But just just take that out. If we went for Florida State, we would possibly be talking about a Group of Five school right now because we would have been taking the lesser money. We would have been on the outside looking in. Hell, the Big East would still have a football conference if it wasn't for Florida State. So that's the time. Those, those, that's how you talk about the razor of thin, thin of margins. We're that, this close, brother, <laughs> to being a group of five. That's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I remember, you know, those. there were people writing articles, even a couple of – I remember a couple of articles back then that talked about the Big East absorbing the ACC. I mean, if you've been watching ACC yeah. football the last five years, you know that just sounds absurd. But in 2010, 2011, there were there were a couple of people writing that, and I was like, man, that's crazy. But I mean, some people thought that could happen, and it, it probably I would say we were probably one more domino away from something like that happening. You know, after Maryland mm-hmm. left, if one more team would have left, I think that would have that would have probably been the end of the ACC. But, you know, to John wow. Roberts' credit, he, he, he got Louisville in the conference and, and pulled the whole thing together to, to where we are now. Mm-hmm. So he, he deserves some criticism, yep. but I mean, you got to get him credit for pulling this together. Well, I think he had to really do – and this is – and, 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 you know, in – what we're talking about now, this could be a podcast in and of itself with, with, with you and Mark, and, and Matt, rather. I mean, talking about 
the whole story, because that whole backstory is fascinating as hell. Because there were rumors that Florida State was talking to the Big 12, maybe Clemson to Miami as well. Uh, there's rumors that, well, actually the Big 10 made it. While it wasn't official, but they, they made obvious overtures to UNC and UVA and Georgia Tech as well. So they were coming. The Big 10 was coming, was coming hard at, at the ACC. And yeah, we I don't just, know what John told those, those go, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, I know you've been blogging for a while, and I've been, you know, we've had this site up for a while, the allsportsdiscussion.com. We need to go back through mm-hmm. our archives and find some of those posts, because I know we were talking about it, you know, that 2011, 2012 year, and, and go back and, you know, and we were guys who were optimistic on the ACC, you know, discussing, you know, what would happen if this and or that happened. And, and you know, we tried to stay away from, there was a lot of nonsense back then, too, but Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even we kind of looked at it like, ah, you know, one one more thing goes wrong here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose to say that North Carolina and, and, and Virginia are considered two of the big cheeses, if you will, in the conference. They have a lot of pull. They have a lot of money and a lot of prestige. If one of those two schools were to leave, it will be over. I mean, I, I think that um, – and, and I think the Big Ten knew that. And while the SEC would love to have out of those two schools as well, I think those those two schools kind of turned their noses at other conferences that are not as academically inclined, if you will, but the Big mm-hmm. Ten is, yep. as is the ACC as well. But I, I think that with – you know, I think that Jim Delaney knew it. And him being a Carolina guy himself, and he knew that Swafford knew it. And you know, it, it was funny because how awkward would would that have been if he would have if, if Delane would have pulled that coup off and pretty much sent the ACC down to oblivion. You know, let the vultures take the rest of the conferences, whether it be the SEC or the Big Twelve, if they want to get involved as well. But anyway, that's, that's all speculation, it's all conjecture now. But it's pretty fascinating to think about of what would have been. What if? The conference wouldn't wouldn't able wouldn't weren't able to talk Florida State into joining, you know, be, you know because Gene Corrigan, uh, who was a former co- uh, uh, commissioner, he was he he had foresight. He knew that football would eventually mm-hmm. drive the bus, and credit for, to him for convincing the likes of Duke, Carolina, Virginia, of accepting Florida State, because you no one could imagine. What would happen if if, if 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 the SEC would have gotten the hold of Florida State instead of the ACC? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Who who knows what would have happened? That that definitely does sound like a a, a great podcast conversation for one day. And looking yeah, back yeah. on some of those articles and um, from back then. Uh, but here I'm the other thing that that I look at during the ma- media days is the preseason picks. And I'm, yeah. I'm looking at them right now, and two things really caught my eye about this team. One is, I mean, we know about Clemson on the defensive line. And to me, yeah, I, I don't know if it's ever happened before. They've got – I mean, they have four All-Americans, so the, the, four All-ACC players, and they're basically All-Americans anyways and probably going to go all in the first mm-hmm. round, at worst second round. Yeah. I mean, this defensive line, Cleveland Farrell, Austin Bryant, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, 
I mean, we might be looking at one of the greatest defensive lines that we've ever seen in college football. I mean, they have that kind of potential uh, to be an absolute brick wall of a defensive line. And, you know, the Clemson's got a couple of other players, Mitch Hyatt and uh, Justin uh, Falsinelli. Uh, You know, that gives them six of the top nine linemen in the ACC. And we're just kind of seeing right now why Clemson is so good. They're really, you know, that strong at the lines of scrimmage and that defensive line. That, I I mean, the only lines that that I've seen in ACC history that I think could even approach – the kind of talent these guys have is, is maybe some of those um, mid ninety Florida State teams when they had those defensive ends that could just fly around the corner. That's the that's the only ones I think can approach what we're seeing with these guys. Um, and the other thing that that caught my eye, and you know, as I was going through the position rankings of ACC players, you know, I noticed like mm-hmm. you know, Boston College is kind of. You know, they're accumulating some talent on this team. And you know, we Clemson, can't sleep on them anymore. No, we you can't. sleep can. on both they, they have – they've got the second uh, highest number of all ACC picks, you know, in the conference behind Clemson. they got the, the conference's top tight end, Tommy Sweeney, um, uh, first, second-round type offensive lineman in Chris Lindstrom. You know, they got the Heisman candidate, A.J. Dillon, at, at running back and – They've got yep. a potential All-America safety, uh, Lucas Dennis, there at, at safety. Steve Adazio has built up some talent there at Boston College. And, you know, there's been a buzz kind of about them the entire summer in the spring that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they could be a dark horse. You know, not to overtake Clemson. I don't think anyone really thinks that. But, you know, they could challenge for, for second place there in the Atlantic and and a really good bowl bid. They've they've got some ability on that Boston College team. And, and you know, I'm looking at Boston College schedule right now. It sets up very nice. I mean, they get UMass Holy Cross at home, but they go to Wake. They're, they're, they, then they go to Purdue, which I think is very winnable, even though it's on the road. Um, but, you know, the thing is that they get Clemson at home. They go to NC State. They host Louisville. They host Miami. That's the you know, they have two big games at home this year. They got Miami at home. That's the ESPN game, and they have Clemson at home late in the season. Um, and the, the only thing is they have to go to Florida State, and, of course, they play Vitek every year. They have to go to them. But and you, to your point, you look you look at the trajectory of his of Steve Adazio's program. Sure, it's a smaller uh, 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 private school, but, damn, do they have some players. They they got some ballers, and I tell you what, they are a healthy quarterback away to really make us a noise in this conference. Again, now no one's saying that they'll ever take Clemson, but you got to watch for them. You got to watch NC State, my mama mater. I mean, we, we like we have Ryan Finley coming back, and we still got talent on defense. And it's nice to see Dave Dorn, the head coach, we step up in his his recruiting efforts. He we, we actually have some players coming in, and we got some players coming back. One team I want to look, keep my eye on in Atlantic, though, is Florida State. And if this is a case where Florida State, well, I think they'll be a lot better this year, at least on paper, at least like on the field. They have a tougher conference. I mean, they have a tougher schedule, bro. They're yeah. season at home against Virginia Tech. But check this out. They go to Miami. 
and they go to Notre Dame late in the season. That's 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 going to be tough. And you know they play Florida every year, but Florida's going to be a lot better under uh, under Dan Mullen from you know who's formerly of Mississippi State. So I, I like what uh, what Willie Tiger's doing. It's all those guys responsible. It's all about accountability. They're sure accountability down there in Tallahassee. I think they're a lot better. It just may not show up on the on the score sheet because of the schedule. I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that um, you know Willie Tagger is, is going to bring like he's going to bring some new energy to Florida State. Um, you know that that went south on Jimbo Fisher really quickly. Yeah, it did. I mean, he goes from you know 2013 national champions playoff team in 2014 and. You know, by 2017, he's struggling to make a bowl game. And, you know, just this is kind of a side note. I don't think he's going to be all that successful at Texas A&M. I, don't, I think I don't he's going to struggle. Yeah. I think he caught lightning in a bottle having a quarterback like Jameis Winston, uh, you know, who, you know, despite his off-the-field issues, was, you know, one of the all-time great ACC quarterbacks. And I think Jimbo mm-hmm. benefited from that. Because uh, you give him a, a, an average or slightly above average quarterback, I, I think those two teams, you know, the 2013 team was loaded with talent, but that's probably only – they're probably losing a couple games without Jameis, and the 2014 team probably is not going to the playoffs or winning the ACC. No. And I think you're going right. to you're gonna see that Texas A&M. I, I don't think – he's not going to be able to get past Alabama, obviously, but I think he's going to struggle to get past the, the Auburns. And the LSU's is out there. I don't. I don't right. think he'll be much. I, I think he's going to be a, pretty much of a clone of, of Kevin Sutherland out there. Um, but you know, back to, to Taggart. Um, More that, that program clone. needed some. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to be expensive. <laughs> that's that's an expensive price to pay to go eight and four and seven and five each year, which is what I think <laughs> right. he's going to how he's going to do it at Texas A and M. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I. I I'm not sure if I'll go as far to say, but I think there's the potential. He could be one of the most – he could end up being one of the more overrated coaches ever to win a national title. I'll just come out of there and say it. Mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, but we'll, 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 we'll see about that. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But it definitely that Florida State program needed some energy, and I think Willie Taggart, he's going to bring it. Uh, mm-hmm. What you see with, with, with Florida State, they can get by Virginia Tech in that opening game, and then they got them at home. I mean, they could really, you know, get out of the gate starting five and zero before they go to Miami. Uh, Louisville is, is typically right. a tough game for them, but I don't think the Cardinals are going to be very good this year. I think they got too many question marks. I don't think that offensive line is, you know, they they struggled when they had Lamar Jackson. I don't believe Bobby Petrino when he says, you know, they're going to be better offensively because uh, they'll be more balanced. I don't buy it. I mean, Lamar Jackson wow. was a once-in-a-lifetime talent back there. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah. A, he was the offense. Uh, I mean, a Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, you know, the most athletic quarterback that we've seen in college football since Michael Vick. And, you know, he was running for his life against good defenses. And, yeah, I think they got a lot of holes, I think, at Louisville. So, I mean, I could I, – mm-hmm. if you get by that Virginia Tech game, you could be looking at a 5-0 and start. Uh, that Miami game, okay, is going to be difficult. You get a bye week. You probably, 
Uh, you're still probably going to beat Wake Forest at home. Um, but then if if you can split, you know, Clemson, NC State, uh, Notre Dame, and Florida, I mean, you're probably you're, you're probably going nine and three, and I, I think that's a that's a record that uh, Florida State can shoot for, and you know, it'll be another year or two before they can really get back to contending for playoff spots. But you know, they go nine and three. Uh, Willie Taggart's done a really good job in his first year, and I think I think that's a nine win team. If he gets to double digits, uh, he's he's doing coach of the year work. But I, I think yeah. I mean, Taggart was a really good hire. He's going to get a ton of talent to to Tallahassee. This is his dream job. He's so a he's, Florida guy. You know, he's going to be. Yeah, he's a Florida guy. He's going to put in 110% uh, for that program. So if, if you want to try to get Florida State, you might be able to, to sneak it in there this year, but um, especially that that game with Boston College. I know that that's at Doe Campbell, but that's that's going to be a tricky game. And the one at NC State, that's going to be another one yeah. that we'll have to see. Uh, that's going to be tough for Florida State to – to steal that one, but I think Florida State's going to, you know, they're going to prove a couple games on last year. That's an eight or nine win team. Yeah, I think NC State, that brought Carlin Finley Stadium is a house of horrors of Florida State. Uh, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Um, it has been for about 20 we've had years. A number. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we've had a number there, and it will be talented as well, uh, too. Again, Ryan Finley's coming back, so, I mean, to your point, this is the time to get Florida State. This, 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 this year, last year and this year. I mean, you know, he had an injury to DeAndre Francois, but that team, they was too talented to go seven and six. I mean, when they when yeah. they got blown yep. out by Boston College that Friday night game, that they they quit on Jimbo. They totally quit on him because I know that Boston College is well coached, I, and I know that they play very very hard. But time for time, they had no they they had no business on the same field as Florida State, let alone beat them. But thirty eight to three, I think it was thirty five to three. Um, they because Florida State just quit them. I was watching that game. I was like watching that game with my mouth just gaped uh, wide open in shock to see how far, how much they quit on Jimbo. So yeah, it was a divorce that was that needed to happen for both sides. And I think Florida State's actually going to get the better end of it. I know that Jimbo's pocket's a lot fatter with $75 million guaranteed, but I think Florida <laughs> State in the long run is thankful to be moving on, to move on past that because they finally get a guy in Tiger who really wants to be there and is not looking to push the envelope. And, you know, it's it just I, – I, 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 the future is bright for Florida State. I can't believe I'm saying that about Florida State, but the future is bright for Florida State and – to me, to like you said, there's nine wins. I wouldn't be shocked if they were ten wins. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked about that because they're so talented. And Tiger's gonna get his guys in there. He's gonna get more talent in there. And as long as he keeps pushing accountability, and hopefully a lot of fire on the DeAndre Francois ass, then it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be fun back and forth between Florida State and Clemson once again. But uh, I know that you and I will we'll get to the picks right quick since we're talking teams, and we spent most of the time in the Atlantic division, and I'm pretty sure that you and I are sharing the brain with Clemson winning the Atlantic, and as well as Miami winning the Coastal. Since we spent a lot of time with the Atlantic with dark horses, the Coastal is, I think the Coastal is kind of tricky because while Miami's favorite, and, like, and rightfully so, 
they end the season on a down note last year. You know what I mean? Losing the last two games, well, last three games. Losing that game to Pitt, as well as uh, getting blown up by Clemson. I think they were hungover from losing to Pitt the week the week before. And uh-huh. by Wisconsin. Wisconsin was good, but I thought Miami was better. They just didn't play well, like when they started throwing the ball over. So, to me, a dog course for me in the coastal. I mean, I would say Virginia Tech, but I'm going outside the box. I'm gonna say Georgia Tech. I, I think that, like Georgia Tech, they 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 were injured most of last season. They seemingly found a quarterback uh, from 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 week one. They should have when they should have beaten Tennessee. But I, I but I think that Georgia Tech is a dark horse, and you gotta love Paul Johnson talking smack about Clemson when someone brought about Clemson's dominance like in the in the league. And he said that quote, "We have the best record against them." <laughs> you gotta look, <laughs> but um, but uh, I but I think it's Miami and Clemson going away. But I would say in the coastal look for Georgia Tech to make some noise, and for the Atlantic, this will be very competitive. I say between Florida State, NC State, and perhaps Boston College to make some noise in that division as well. What say you, sir? Yeah, I think. You know, I, I think Miami is is the favorite. Um, I was a little bit surprised at how over, you know, how heavy of a favorite that they were voted. Uh, you know, I'm looking at it here, and they they had 122 points. Yeah. Uh, you know, in their in their pick, and Virginia Tech had 16. And I was I was right. really kind of surprised by that dis- disparity. I, I expected it to be a lot closer, but you know, I do think it's it's probably Miami one, Virginia Tech two, and then you know. Georgia Tech is an interesting team because they lost so many close games last year. I mean, they were, you know, they were probably five minutes of decent defensive football from going eight and four last year, instead of uh, or uh, not eight and four, seven and four because they they missed the one game with with Central Florida instead of five and five and six. They've got a new defensive coordinator, Nate Woody, who had all those yep. really good defenses at Appalachian State. Uh, they've got. Yeah, Juan Marshall returning at quarterback, um, you know who who may have run the offense, um, maybe not quite as good as, as some of Justin Thomas's you know best efforts, but you saw his ability last year running the ball. That Tennessee game, he looked like a Heisman Trophy candidate. You know, he he just needs to kind of tighten up. Yes, he did. You know, throwing the football, but I mean they they they've got some some ability there with with Georgia Tech. It just might be that the schedule might get them. I mean, they got to play Clemson, they got to play at Georgia, um, they they got Miami in there. They got to play at Virginia Tech. Their crossover game uh, this year is at Louisville. They got non-conference game at mm-hmm. US at South Florida. So I mean, they they've got a really difficult, uh, really difficult schedule. But they could contend late into the season. You know, if if that. Def- more aggressive defense from Woody kind of takes hold. Um, mm-hmm. But you never know with Georgia Tech because when you think, you know, they're going to have a really good season, they kind of underperform. <clears throat> and when you when they're off the radar, yeah. they come out of nowhere and win, you know, nine, you know, nine or ten games. You know, people are, have been kind of down on Paul Johnson, but, you know, he's only a year removed from going nine and four, you know, beating three SEC teams, <clears throat> winning at Georgia and winning the Gator Bowl. Yeah, 
So it, and it, I remember it hadn't been long, man. To be, yeah, and, and I remember, sorry, but like, I remember we crowned himself the SEC champs, the SEC East champs. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he had, had gone oh, something like hilarious. five and one against the the SEC over like a six game period. Um, yeah. So Georgia Tech is is definitely a team you just you never know what you're gonna you get to get out of them, but they've got they've got some pieces that if you know if, if they can steal those couple. They, You'll know about them right away because after that Alcorn State game, you know they have that USF game and at Pitt on the road, and and those are two, mm-hmm. you know, you're not playing Clemson or anything yet or, or playoff contending teams, but those are two, you know, quality would be quality road wins, and if you can steal those two, then, then you might have a chance to to set up for a pretty good uh, season at Georgia Tech. Uh, the other team I'm 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 looking at that could be a dark horse. You know, is the Duke Blue Devils? Uh, they got they got Clemson on the schedule too, so they don't they don't get the break on the schedule um, this year. But you know, Daniel Jones, quarterback, Duke finished the year really strong <clears throat> last year. So you know, if Miami or Virginia Tech kind of slips in the coastal, I think Georgia Tech, like you said, is a good good dark horse pick. And I, I think Duke is another team that could sneak in there if, if Miami, you know, if they can't get that more consistent quarterback play from uh, mm-hmm. Malik Rozier, that's that's a big question mark with them is where are they going to get out of the quarterback position? Um, right. You know, with him, he's a, he's a huge question mark. I mean, I, I think Miami is a team you – know, I looked at their schedule, and, you know, if he, if he doesn't improve, especially the way he played at the final three games of the season – that you said that you know they lost. He played really poorly to end the season. He plays like that. Miami's going to go seven and five, but if he gets that confidence going and and starts playing the way he has, he's got ability. If he starts playing, you know, to his ability, Miami's a team that could go eleven and one. So he, he's he's the key. He's the key to to Miami's season, and and Virginia Tech, you know, with Josh Jackson, looks like the academic stuff is, is squared away. I think they're going to be pretty good on offense, but they, they've been so decimated in the off season with, with attrition on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they're going to be yeah, really young in the secondary. And, uh, you know, Bud Foster, as good as he is, he's going to have to juggle some things around. And if he could manage to do that, if he can get Virginia Tech through that first half of the season, you know, they're going to be there in the end too. But, they, they got to figure out a way to deal with. They're going to have some depth issue, I think, in in the back seven and that secondary. They're going to be really young and inexperienced, and and even a great defensive coordinator like Bud Foster is going to have to. He's going to have to try to figure out some things because he's not going to have all of the athletes he's usually had. You know, there's no Kendall Fuller's back. There's not the Fuller brothers aren't coming back anymore. So he's got some right. work to do back right. there. Mhm. Yeah. Exactly. And. One more thing before I, I, I move to the last topic on the ACC uh, media days. And, again, we're talking with Jeffrey Fan, Jeff Fan from uh, All Things Discussion, ACC Sports Blog. Um, how about your – I know you're alumnus of Georgia Tech. So how about them finally getting that money, use the money to build their football program and have that fly, that fly as a, a locker room? I don't know if you saw the video of Georgia Tech football's locker room on Twitter. But it's hot, and it's about damn time yeah. that a university put their money back 
and reinvesting the football program because that's a lot of tradition there with the Rambler Wreck. And, again, that's a sleeping giant, man. And, you know, it's, it's, I know you have to be happy to see the improvements that the football that was made to the football program, at least off the field. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that because for, for Georgia Tech, that's that's a huge that's a huge deal. I mean, you know, yeah. places like Clemson, Florida State, you know, are putting out brand new facilities, which you know seems like every other year, you know, a cash strapped place like Georgia Tech has kind of been, you know, dealing with. With with subpar facilities, you know, you have to be honest. They've been dealing with subpar facilities for a number of years, and you know, Paul Johnson's been asking for a new locker room almost since he's got there. And, and in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, it's all it's astonishing almost what he's been able to accomplish is despite despite playing with one hand behind behind his back, you know, in terms of of facilities. Um, you know, we might look mm-hmm. back at his Orange Bowl team in 2014 as one of the great coaching jobs yes. we've we've seen in the ACC. Gosh, um, but that locker room, I mean, that, that's a real, that, yeah, that was a team ranked, you know, number one in the country for two months out of the, out of the season, and, and Georgia Tech just ran them off the field and beat a top ten Georgia team in their backyard. You know, I, I still call that Georgia Tech team the best non-Florida um, State or Clemson team of the decade so far. That's how good that team was. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, back to – you know the facilities, that locker room. I mean, I think you, the way you know that 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 locker room was really needed and how important it was is is the videos of the of the players when they walked in and saw that. I mean, they they couldn't have been more excited, and, yeah, and that's, that's going to go. I mean, they were just thrilled to have this brand new, um, you know, state of the art locker room, and and that's absolutely going to help Georgia Tech in recruiting. And I think in the next two or three years, you're going to really be able to see what Paul Johnson is going to be capable of with a, a you know coaching for an athletic director, Todd Stansberry, who actually cares about football, uh, not like the previous mm-hmm. AD um, Mike Babinski, who Babinski. came from Xavier and yeah had no no Division One you know football experience, and it, and it showed in the way he managed the program. You know now he's. Johnson has has got his his locker rooms. They're investing in facilities. He's he's got an aggressive defensive coordinator. Something he's been trying to get for for years. Uh, you know, I, I think Ted Roof was you know he was a tech guy, and I think people wanted to see him doing well. Who were Georgia Tech fans, but he, know, he just wasn't. A, a, he sucked. <laughs> he wasn't <laughs> a good yeah, he he. And just be honest. You know, he was a pretty good pretty good recruiter, but when it came to making in game adjustments and uh, you know, he was he just he was just too conservative at, at Georgia Tech. They, you know, they don't have the talent of a of a Clemson to just rush for and you know let your defensive line just you know bottle up running backs. I mean, the best defenses we've seen at Georgia Tech over the last twenty years, you know, even if they got burned from time to time, were those John Tenuta, you know, blitz nine guys, and it was really successful. I mean, every once in a while, like somebody like a Matt Ryan would, you know, would would toast them. But more often than not, that mm-hmm. was what they needed. And 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 I think Nate Woody's going to bring the, you know, maybe not quite the Tenuta type defense, but he's going to be a lot more aggressive. And um, you know, now that we're seeing some more investment in Georgia Tech football, I, I'm really curious to see what what Johnson can really do with with 
the backing of, of the university of, of the AD and, and the locker rooms were, were a great, were a great start. And I mean, they look great. The players were excited. Paul Johnson was happy. And, uh, you know, that, that's going to have a, a trickle down effect. I think you'll see on the, you, you saw what, where Duke came from, you know, as bad mm-hmm. as they were when Cutcliffe first got there, you know, to be in a really respected football program, and that, that came after their heavy investment into facilities. Facilities matter. I mean, these days you're yeah, not going to just be able to. That. You're not going to just be able to to roll out a coach, no matter how good, and be able to recruit when you know the team down the road. You know, it's got state of the art facilities. You gotta you gotta try to keep up as best as you can. And uh, as a, as a Georgia Tech guy, I was I was really happy to see it. I'm glad that. It's it's finally finished. I was happy for the players. They were so excited, and yeah, they look good. They look good. Yeah, they do. They look good, feel good, play good. Last thing on the ACC media days, I gotta address Larry Fedora and his crazy ass CTE remarks. Like when he said that football is gonna be is in trouble, and the country's gonna suffer for it. They're in trouble too. Would someone please fire Larry Fedora, please? I mean, would someone please get him? <laughs> I mean, he hasn't won. He's underperformed much of his time in Chapel Hill, uh, even though I'd love to see him stick around so he could be dominated by NC State still. But nevertheless, I mean, can someone just take his ass in the backyard and just put him down or just get him out of Chapel Hill? I mean, just, just – I hadn't heard anything so ridiculous in my life. And – you know, I, I know you know what the quote is. We can look up the quote online, but Larry Fedora, you've jumped the shark. That's all I got to <laughs> say about that guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, even if <laughs> even if you're kind of skeptical on you know how uh, how impactful you know concussions are, uh, you know brain injuries and vein development. I mean, it's okay if you're skeptical about that. But to say what he said, I mean, you kind of wish that <laughs> maybe his AD or someone would have just kind of said, hey, Larry, you know, just, just stop talking, <laughs> you know, just just mm-hmm. kind of drop it. Because I, I think what, what really what really came across, and I, and I, I don't think he meant that at all, but, I mean, just to kind of – the way he was saying it, you know, it almost felt like he didn't care about the issue, and and that's what you can't do. Even if you're kind of skeptical yeah. on on how much impact it is, I mean, you can't uh, you can't dim- diminish player safety in like in any way, especially not now. I mean, that has to, and I mean, I think, and I I want to say I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt, and and I really believe he does care about player safety. But he just started talking and just talking too much, and it just – it looked bad. Mm-hmm. It looked really bad. It's a bad <laughs> I mean, look. It's a bad look. I mean, it was a, it was, especially coming out with the Lucy's that he had, it's just bad. Yeah, it was it was a bad look. Uh, you know, the things he said were, were borderline, you know, borderline out of line. Um, I, could, I could see other coaches, you know, using it against him, saying, hey, do you – you know, that guy over there at, at – Chapel Hill, he he didn't really care about your kid's safety, um, so just, I mean, I really wish he'd just come out with an apology and say, you know, I didn't mean to say that. It it went too far. I really care about safety. That's my number one priority. 
But that that actually it, it almost kind of disturbs me a little bit more that he hasn't said anything than almost than he did say that. Like maybe you could give him a pass that he just started rambling and and couldn't help himself. But I thought for sure he would come out within a day or two and just say, "Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I just shouldn't have said any of this." Yeah. Or I don't know. I didn't get enough sleep. Or whatever. You know, just kind of. <laughs> you know, just basically apologize and and say, "Ah, oh, that's not what I'm exactly meant." But I'm I'm a little bit bothered that he hasn't said anything because it was it was definitely. Out of, out of line. It was. I mean, it was, like you said, it was a bad look, and it, it kind of put a damper on the and the ACC media days, because you, you, just, you just can't do that. You can't, you can't diminish, you know, the CTE discussion, concussions, no matter what you might personally think about it, you, you just can't say it. <laughs> right. I think this dude is begging to be fired. He's like, please, someone, please fire me. I don't want to do it. <laughs> they're going to be fired. It seems like, but we'll see, man. This is, it was just a bad look. But anyway, Jeff, thanks a lot, bro. I really appreciate you uh, coming on. And maybe I'll hop on your guys' podcast one of these nights and uh, make a fool of myself with warm back picks <laughs> for the ACC. Yeah, we, we got to have you back on. I enjoyed yeah, it. Man. I definitely enjoyed I appreciate it. Tonight. All right. Take it right. out, man. That's my guy, Jeff Sam. Please check him out on Twitter at Talkin. That's T A L K I N A C C Sports, and his all the sports discussion ACC blog. A lot of fun there. I love working with him and Hokey Smash as well. One last thing before we end the podcast, uh, want to get into this Josh Hader bit. You know, we all know about his racist tweets seen around the world. When he made when when he made those tweets at age six, I want to say seventeen, and uh, you know, he's a 23-year-old man now, young man now still. But I just, you know, it, he, like, it wasn't, you know, I have two thoughts on this guy. Number one, and, and I wrote a blog post about him, like, a few days ago. Um, you know, I understand. Let's just take everything, like, like I said, back from it. I understand that people evolve over time, okay? A lot of us, when we were younger, much less a teenager, have done stupid-ass things in my past. I get that. I understand that. I've done some stupid things in my past, and I've done some stupid things in my 20s and 30s. I get it, and I'm a much more mature 44-45-year-old man from those experiences. I get that. So when he made that apology, he, when he made what appeared to be a heartfelt apology, talked to his teammates, his black teammates, and his fans teammates about that, um, you know, while I still look at him side eye, you know, if I was a teammate of his, I, I'll publicly forgive him. But I'll be like, oh, I don't know, bro. He's all, that's only six years ago. But nevertheless, he apologized. And why I didn't like the fact that he got what amounted to be a slap on the wrist, what was the sensitivity training and whatnot that he had to do, similar to uh, Riley Cooper in Philadelphia way back when. Um, but, again, he appeared contrite. And while, you know, while it was a bad look, I mean, while he did, uh, uh, rather, apologize, it's still a bad look for him. And that's why they say to young people, be careful what you tweet in your past because it will be used against you when you try to go to college or when you try to apply for a job. And I think Hader has learned, it's learning that lesson. But what really bothered me about this Josh Hader thing was when he returned 
the pitch. You know, he he he's able to pitch for the uh, for the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. Um, I probably should have said it earlier, but at any rate, when he appeared in, I guess it was the eighth or ninth inning, when he came in, the whole crowd stood up and applauded him. And you know, looking at that, I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" And again, I understand that people evolve. I understand that the other fans on Twitter, I was just thumbing through the, the through, through my timeline of through uh, Brewer Twitter, if you will, and I saw a lot of those fans. While most of them condemned haters' remarks, haters' tweets, they said, "Okay, the general consensus was." Okay, dude, apologize. You know, it takes a person who actually going to dig up those old tweets anyway. Let's just move past it. Nah, nah. It's again, I understand their their viewpoints, but it's just a bad look, and it's even a worse look for the city of Milwaukee. Keep in mind, this is the same city that that crazy ass chef once presided over. Right, I, I'm not going to bring up his name. I forgot his name. It slips me, but Frank, I forgot. I don't want to give him any more credit and mention his name on this podcast. So let, we'll move along there. But also, you have those cops who 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 profile and 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 and, and, and brutalize, if you will, uh, Stoney Brown for the Milwaukee Bucks. And the worst part about it was, well, I can't say that's the worst part, but he ain't knew who he was. They knew he was an NBA player. They knew the type of reputation that he had and the work that he carried. And they still did it anyway. They still they, they still roughed him up anyway. That's what we're dealing with with the city of Milwaukee. And for these fans to stand and applaud this guy, this hater kid, that's just a very bad look for the city and the fans. It really is. And you know what, though? I was willing to bet while they say that this forgive and forget, he made a mistake, blah, 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 I was willing to bet that most of those same fans would boo those players from the Packers if either of them either took a knee or locked arms during the national anthem as as a way of protesting against against two things, the inequality uh, in this nation, in this otherwise great nation, and the and, and the disproportionate amount of, of cops killing unarmed black men and women. Now I, I bet that I would bet my whatever little I have left in my pockets and in my bank account that that would happen, and that's where it's troubling. So again, you know, I get people want to move past it, and we've seen this again at at at, at baseball stadiums in the past, where you know Barry Bonds when he Allegedly took the clear, allegedly cheated his way to 756 home runs. First of all, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame um, because I don't think any amount of PEDs would allow you to put that on ball like that. That's out of that's a that's a that's an acquired skill that not many people have. But he was vilified at other stadiums, rightfully so. But he was cheered by his own staff as the home crowd, Giants home crowd, and stuff like that. So we see this a lot. And we saw it with John Rocker in Atlanta. It just came popping my head right now after he made those sexist and homophobic comments in the Sports Illustrated 
that article way back when in the 90s, the Braves fans, when he appeared in the ninth inning, stood and applauded. So we've seen this before, and this goes to show you that while those fans in Milwaukee and Atlanta probably would not publicly say or publicly mean that they're racist or sexist or homophobic and support these two young men, well, then the young man and John Walker is at my age now, but this young man and John Hader, it gives the look that either they're tone deaf, deaf or they really don't give a damn about racism, sexism, and, and homophobia. So, again, I understand where these fans and work are coming from. I'm not saying they're bad people. And I, I, I get them supporting their guy. Again, because we've seen this type of thing before. But, 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 but this, but given what Hater did six years ago on Twitter, and couple that with what's been going on in the city of Milwaukee with the former Sheriff Clark and those, and those police officers roughing up Sterling Brown, it's just a bad look for the city. It's a very bad look. So hopefully that will be a teaching point, a teaching moment for those fans. And, you know, maybe if they, you know, learn to interact with people outside of their race and ethnicity and their social background, Maybe they'll help them understand that because can you imagine being a person of color or gay person in that state in at Miller Park when those fans stood up and applauded this kid? Talk about uncomfortable, and that's just not right. So, and anyway, it just it just it just goes it just goes to show that you can't be but so toned up in a thing like that, especially if if, if, if the things that were being talked about is not affect the majority like that. So anyway, rant over. <laughs> but thank you all for tuning in. Please, again, check out uh, Jeff Fan on, on Twitter at Talking ACC Sports, as well as the All Sports Discussion ACC Sports blog. This is Scott Burks with the Clown Out, signing off 06. Good night.